Now, enjoy Tom Collins Part 2, Lemon Juice. Chapter 7 The next morning, I arrive at the Perkins Building on Park Avenue, nod at the doorman, and shine him a cheesy smile. Good morning, sir, he says. As I step through the revolving door, I wonder if sir is too polite a greeting for me this morning. But herein lies the power of a smile. Fake or not, people hide behind smiles every day. The elevator can't come fast enough. I press the up button at least three times, as if that will make it come quicker. It doesn't, and I'm still rubbing my eyes. Overall, I slept maybe two hours. I kept thinking about all the dynamics that make this situation a nightmare. Most obviously, I slept with the boss's wife. Worse, I'm supposed to see her, tonight. Even worse, he likes me, I kinda like him, and even worse than that, I'm about to spend the weekend with him at his beach house. Should I even go see Liv tonight? Ding! The elevator door opens, and I step inside. The Muzak reminds me of the car ride home last night. Who picks elevator Muzak anyway? I took off shortly after I won the award. It was the loneliest car ride I can remember. Tom Waits was the perfect music for the quiet and somber drive. I must have listened to the song I Hope I Don't Fall in Love With You a dozen times. I got stuck in traffic on the I-95, which made the ride even longer. Construction, like always. Good thing, though. The blinking lights were a reminder that I was still conscious. I thought about everything from calling Handley to texting Jack to meet for a drink to stopping at some random strip club. I needed some stimulation to kill the pain. A cooler head prevailed, though. I got lost in thought for two hours and made it home in one piece. Ding! The elevator door opens, and I step onto the office floor. I walk out, take a left, and greet the office admin, Nicole. She looks like she might have had one too many at the event. Good to see you this morning, I say. Did you have a nice time last night? A little tired this morning, (laughs) she says. I guess that means I did. Congratulations on that award. I tap the counter in front of her. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks. There are not many people in the office this morning. Neither Undercuffler nor Olsen are in yet. Did I miss a memo or something? I look at my watch. What the? It's only 8 a.m. I hope I'm not losing my mind. While in motion to put my briefcase on my desk, I see a sticky note that reads, Come see me, first thing, this a.m. I'm in early. Tim. I never get summoned to the 44th floor. Fuck. I knew I'd be walking on pins and needles, but as soon as I come through the door? Come on. Tim usually comes down to see me, or us, on our floor, the 43rd. Did Liv tell him about us? Shit, if she did, what do I say? I feel a slight perspiration above my lip. I head to the water cooler, down two cups, loosen my tie, and take a deep breath, resting my arm on the jug. I'd rather be waterboarded than deal with this conversation right now. In my mind, I start rehearsing what I'll say. Seriously, I didn't even know Liv was your wife. I was drunk. It was a one-time thing. It'll never happen again. Sounds believable? Shit. I want to see her again. Do the right thing, Christian. 
do the right thing. Maybe I'll just say, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that Olivia was your wife. Perfect. Leave it vague and totally honest. How could he get mad at that? Well, I did screw his wife. But definitely say Olivia. No nicknames. I look at my watch and it reads 8.15am. God forbid this gets ugly. I should probably get up there before everyone gets in. I walk into the elevator, press 44, put my head down, and, before I can pick my head up, the door slides open. Did it even close? I peek out. Oh shit, it's definitely the 44th floor. This space is a little different from the sales floor. It's all individual offices around the outside with a conference room in the middle. All glass, too. Everyone can see everyone. Each office has their own secretary and they're all here this morning, getting things organized before their bosses come in. Tim's secretary is named Lorelai. She's an attractive woman in her 30s. Brown hair, big bust, small waist, and wearing flats. The brief distraction is nice, but in my peripheral I see Tim typing away at his computer. He looks up, sees me, and raises his arm to signal me over. Act cool, Christian. Cool and confident. Don't forget to thank him again. I grin and lift my hand to signal that I see him. Good morning, Tim, I say once I get to his door. He finishes typing something. You're here early, he says. Have a seat. I slide into one of the leather chairs in front of his desk. Yeah, I just wanted to get going early today. Still typing, he says. You had fun last night? It was a good time, I reply. He seems to be paying more attention to the screen than he is to me. We all got a little tipsy, he says. So we told everyone to come in a little later today. I put two and two together. Ah, I was wondering why the office was a bit empty. I took off pretty early last night. Tim smirks and says, I noticed that. No biggie. He continues to type away and squint into the screen. Why'd you duck out so early? My brain starts to rip through reasons. I settle on, Um, you know, I, I was just tired. I live in Stamford. That comment makes his ears perk up. He stops typing and fixes his eyes on me. Oh, Connecticut, huh? Same here. I live in Greenwich. I can feel beads of sweat starting to seep under my arms. Oh, you didn't miss much, he continues. So, you probably want to know why I wanted to see you first thing. I jump the gun a bit and blurt out. I just want to tell you. At the same moment, he continues. Well, I just want to give you some details. We both stop in our tracks. Tim speaks first. What were you going to say? I gulp, then say. Uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead he says. I just wanted to tell you how thankful I am for the award last night. It means a lot to me. Oh, Christian, it was my honor. You deserve it. That's exactly why I called you up, he says. I wanted to give you some details on the trip to Golden Beach. I feel the weight of a sumo wrestler come off my shoulders. Yes, of course, I say. Oh, I love South Florida. I've had some good nights in Miami. Tim laughs. <laughs> I'm sure. It's a fast town. My wife and I love it down there. That's why I bought the place two years back. Oh, really? It's pretty new for you, then. Yeah, it is. I get fixated on a photo that I spot directly over his right shoulder and zone out for a minute or two. It's a photo of Liv and a young girl. Oh, who is that? Does she have a daughter? Am I a homewrecker? This would make the situation even more fucked up. 
I want to ask him about the photo, but I don't want her name to come up. Avoiding her name at all costs is the objective. I start to hear Tim's voice again. Thoughts? Shit, I missed everything he just said. I sit there for a moment. Tim chimes back in. Did you hear me? I wipe my eyes. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't had my coffee yet. Tim laughs again. What I said was the place is decent size. Plenty of bedrooms. Four, actually. I spoke with Undercuffler after you cut out last night, and he'll be bringing Molly. Olivia and I make four. You got anyone you want to bring? Thoughts? Oh, Liv is coming to Golden Beach? This is bad. Real bad. Much worse than I thought. When are we leaving? I ask. Yeah, a date would be good, he says, then looks at the calendar. We're leaving in a couple weeks. Dates are March 20th to 23rd, Friday to Monday. Don't worry about vacation days for any of those dates. This one is on the company. We're going to celebrate. Who the heck drops a trip on someone only a couple weeks away? Is he making this hard on purpose? Uh, does he know about Liv? Fuck, stop being crazy. He doesn't know. He would say something. Two weeks is plenty of notice. Clearly, I have no one to bring, but I can't not go. That's like a slap in the face. Plus, I can't let Undercuffler have one-on-one -on -one time with Tim. Not for four days. No fucking way. His nose will be so far up Tim's ass he'll be able to smell his breath. Tim saves me. Look, I know you're not exactly tied down, he says. I was your age once, and believe it or not, I see a lot of you in me. I didn't get married until I was 39. I know you're just having fun right now. I can't decide if I want him to continue or stop. Me? Like him? It's flattering and jarring at the same time. Is that why Liv slept with me? Does she see Tim and me too? Tim continues. Anyway, I have an extra bedroom, so feel free to bring a buddy or something. Just no whores. Olivia will be on my ass. When you're in sales, you learn to laugh, even when shit isn't funny. This was one of those moments. No whores. That would be fun. He laughs too. <laughs> no whores, he repeats. There's only one buddy I can bring, Jack. But do I really want him there? He knows about Liv and doesn't know about this situation. Yet. Hmm, any others? Ava? Nope. Whore. Sophia? Not a whore, but haven't talked to her in months. She'll get the wrong idea. Hmm, Margaret? Who the hell is named Margaret? Terrible name. No way. Angelica? Nope. Deaf whore. Screw this. I can trust Jack. I might bring my buddy Jack, I say. If you don't mind. I know it's not a date, exactly. Tim starts to laugh, then stops. All good, he says. I just have to ask him later this morning. Tim raises his finger. Oh, and use your corporate Amex for flights, parking, and taxis. This is on us he says. What about Jack? I mean, should I use the card for him too if he comes? He grins. Who approves your expense report? Olson. And who approves Olson's? Tim says. You? Exactly. Don't worry about it. Yes, expense him if he comes with you. Undercuffler is doing the same thing for Molly anyway. There's no way Jack won't come. This deal is too sweet for him. Paid trip to Miami? Well, 20 minutes out on the A1A, but same shit. Tim looks at his watch, then back toward me. 
Oh, one last thing. Arrive any time after 2 p.m. on the 20th. That's when I'll be there. The address is 369 Center Island, Golden Beach. Don't worry about confirming Jack. He comes or not. Doesn't matter to me. Thanks, Tim. Really nice of you. My pleasure, he says, pointing over to the door. Okay, now go sell something. Let's get some work done. I get back to my desk and I realize it's still only 8.40 a.m. Too early to text Jack, but early enough to ease into the day before the circus freaks arrive. I grab a coffee from the instant coffee maker in the hall, power on my computer, sit back in my chair, flip through my planner, and check what I have on the calendar. Shit, today is Friday. A day I've been waiting for all week, now marred by an evolving situation. What a disaster. Should I even go to the Fatty Duck tonight? Will Liv even show up? Chapter 8 I was hoping today would go by slow. Nope. It took off like a rocket and never let up. Once I got fixated on tonight's dilemma, I just couldn't shake it. It was like listening to one of those radio pop jams manufactured to play in your mind on repeat. The one you find yourself singing tomorrow morning in the shower. Actually, the dilemma is more like wet cement. You can get rid of wet cement before it dries, but once it hardens, well, you're fucked. The dilemma dried and hardened. I've been fucked all day. Plus, I've been dancing somewhere between gratitude and envy with my coworkers. That's the funny thing about winning an award or getting some recognition. They build you up to tear you down. Nobody cares as much as I do, and apparently, I don't even care as much as I thought I did. I'm walking around with a target on my back, but for what? Career progression? I slept with the boss's wife. How the hell am I doing? Coworkers will tell you they're proud of you. Only naive children could believe that rubbish. They'll say congratulations and give you a pat on the ass. But behind that plastic smile is dragon breath, ready to burn your life to the ground at any moment. Never mind Undercuffler, a real-life Roger Klotz, plotting his next move with every step I take. Who, by the way, will be in Florida with me, Tim, and Liv. This situation is more dangerous than dynamite. I could leave missing a limb, or worse, with no job. Jobless people don't get laid, do they? Only with other jobless people, I'm guessing. At least Jack texted me that he's coming. Thank God. I need some citrus to cut the heat. He doesn't know about the entire situation yet, but he'll find out soon enough. I cut out of work early to grab coffee with Jack. I have to rip my costume off and let Christian breathe. So, I leave a note for Olson. Client meeting. See you Monday. CB. Olson never breaks my balls for leaving the office early, so shorter the note the better. It comes with the territory of being a top performer. He lets me be. And what am I going to say? Hey, I had to bounce because I can't stop thinking about Tim's wife. Oh, and by the way, I banged her, and now I need to go and deliberate with my good friend Jack on whether or not I should see her again tonight. No, that's too much. Too Christian. Work needs less Christian, more costume. I pull into the coffee shop and see Jack is waiting for me inside, with a cup already in front of him. Ah, oh, finally, a pleasant surprise. This never happens. 
I can see him playing around on his phone through the window. I hop out of the car. He sees me and sneers. I sneer back. We both know something is up. Or maybe he's just in a good mood. I hope the latter, because I need some advice from the last person who's qualified to give it. I swing the door open and shout, Hey, Citrus! He looks up, startled and confused, but grinning. Citrus? What? I start laughing. <laughs> Don't worry. I hope that coffee is strong. Oh, Christ, he says. What now? So, I tell him the entire story, from start to finish. All the dynamics of the trip. Liv's real name is Olivia. She's Tim's wife. Tim likes me. I had sex with Liv. I didn't know, but now I do. The awards dinner, the win, the trip with both of them. Oh, and the undercuffler effect. All that good stuff. Jack takes a sip of coffee and asks, Why didn't you tell me about Liv earlier? What a selfish prick. People always make stuff about them. Well, the week got busy, then I had the award ceremony last night, I reply. Forget that, I just need some damn guidance here. The real reason is, I thought I liked Liv. Correction, I do like her. I didn't want Jack to spoil it with his heartless poison, telling me she's old and not my type. You know, all that bullshit that comes along when you say, I think I really like her, dude. Even if Jack's divorce left him jaded, he's still a human parasail that glides through life. The blowing wind only makes him go faster. I'll tell you what to do, he says. He's got my attention. He takes a sip of coffee. Don't bang her again. Shit, I was afraid he was going to say that. Jack continues. Dude, I've been live before. You know, the cheater. Well, I didn't stop, and not because I hated my wife or because I didn't want to. It just felt too good. I wanted that lust every day. I'd wake up to normalcy, my wife, the house, our life, and then there was that other life. It was new, dangerous, and thrilling. I couldn't help myself. So why am I telling you this? Because Liv ain't going to stop. She's going to tell you she wants to, but she won't. Why? because she'll never be able to shake the thrill. He takes another sip of his coffee and looks out the window nearby. She ain't gonna stop until her whole world crashes and burns, just like me. Except you're going to be left in that rubble, dust all over your face, looking around, hoping you still got a job. I look up at the ceiling, and Jack laughs. I look back down and sigh. Ugh, you're probably right. Here's the real conundrum. After our night together, she took off before I got up and left a note on my kitchen table. She said if I wanted to see her again, I had to meet her tonight at the Fatty Duck at 8pm. So, should I go or not even bother? He almost spits out his coffee. <laughs> Is that a serious question? You have to go. You can't let the next time you see her be in Florida. You gotta clear the air. You gotta end it and make sure she's on the same page as you. Otherwise, all bets are off. I drag my fingertips from my forehead to chin, leaving red streaks, and sit there silent. I know he's right. You alright, dude? Jack asks. I nod. I'll tell you what, though, he says. She is hot, and made her friend Emma look like Swiss cheese. That's why I had to get out of there. Emma was actually good-looking, but he's right. It's all relative. Emma might have been pretty, but that night she was just the woman next to live. That's the problem with our brains. I look out the window 
and look back at Jack. <sighs> I know what I have to do. Jack stares back at me with a shit-eating grin and shrugs. I nod to let him know we're on the same page. So, how's the house? He asks. Is it sick? I can only grin back. Yeah, Jack. It's sick. Chapter 9 A sense of calm comes over me as I get ready. The conversation with Jack really helped to relax my nerves. It's amazing how talking to someone can do that for you. I feel like a trained prize fighter heading into a boxing match. My only unease comes at the thought of the other fighter. Will Liv even show up? If she does, what is her game plan? How's she been training? I spend more time than usual to ensure everything is just right with my appearance. Probably a stupid idea, but an honest one. My vanity is shining through in full force. I mean, I can't go down looking like a mess. I want to stain her mind. Last time I saw her, she said I looked dashing. Tonight, I am shooting for sizzling. As I comb my hair, lotion my body, and brush my teeth, I focus on what I have to do. It's the only viable choice. End it. I pull up to the fatty duck at 7.45pm and walk inside. I'm 15 minutes early. It's another cool March evening. The place is buzzing with a dinner crowd. Typical for a Friday. The only TV that hangs in the bar is playing a hockey game. A late season matchup between the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. No volume. DJ isn't here yet. All you can hear is the banter of patrons. A few cheering the hometown rangers, others ordering drinks and making small talk. I begin to look around for Liv, even though I don't expect her to be here early. Not surprised, I don't see her. Luckily, I find an open seat at the bar on the far side. I walk through the dining area rather than around the U to get to the open stool, just to make sure Liv isn't already sitting down somewhere. The fire in the fireplace gives the place a cozy feel. It's smoky woody, and comforting, perfect for a chilly evening. It's much quieter on this side of the place. You can hear the sound of the kitchen door opening and closing. The only real noise spills over from the bar area. I get to the bar stool and quickly realize how perfect it is. I'm directly facing the entrance. The same bartender from the week before is working. She recognizes my face. Hey you, you're alone tonight? I play it cool. I'm that obvious, huh? She smiles. <laughs> right now, but maybe meet up with someone in a short while. Figured I'd catch some of the game, I say. Rangers look good, 2 nothing in the middle of the second, she says. What are you having? I don't want a drink before I see Liv. Alcohol does a number on your emotions, but I can't just sit here. Plus, that doesn't align so well with the ever-so-slight lie I just told. Ugh, fuck it. Tom Collins, I say. She points at me. Right, Tom Collins. Yes, you remember. A good bartender never forgets, she says. She starts to mix my drink and I notice she uses a sugar cube rather than simple syrup. Is that the trick? I ask. What? She replies. Sugar cube rather than simple syrup. Uh, simple syrup is typically less sweet, but it's also a compound. 
a mixture of water and sugar. If I can use each ingredient individually, I do. It helps me control the consistency, she says. Oh, touche. I'll buy that. It's 8 p.m. on the nose. Liz should be here any minute. I'm pretending to watch the game, but I'm on a bed of nails waiting for her to walk through the door. I feel like Tony Soprano watching the diner entrance in the series finale. Am I about to get whacked? Each time the door opens, a cool draft blows across the room. My heart skips a beat, thinking it might be her, and I can hear Jack say, Don't bang her again. It's ten past eight, and my drink is already getting low. Do I order another? No way. I'll never stand up to the fire. I'll melt like ice cream in the summer. The bartender looks at me. Another? Sure, why not? I say, astonished at my weakness. I see the front door open again, and finally, there she is. She came, standing there, looking around. Should I make her sweat it out? Nah. I raise my hand, she sees me, smiles, and begins to walk over. So, you decided to show up, she says, beating me to the punch. Funny, I was just about to say the same thing to you. It doesn't take her long to start flirting. You look great, as always. (laughs) And by always, you mean the two times you've seen me? Unless, of course, you're stalking me. She hits my shoulder. (laughs) Right? I've seen her three different ways before tonight. Casual, with her hair pulled back. Stunning, in formal wear. And, well, naked. I'd gladly take her in all three. Tonight, though, she has an edgy look to her. At first I can't tell, but when I offer her my seat at the bar, she takes her overcoat off and lays it on the back of the chair. It reveals a couple rips in the knees of her jeans, black leather bomber, and heeled boots, all complementing her darker makeup and messy blonde hair. Liv orders a martini, and I stand there nursing my second cocktail while hovering at her right side. The real conversation hangs over our heads like a dark cloud. I look to savor the last moments of sunlight, but I can't resist the sound of thunder in my mind. So... I have to ask you, did you know? Did you know I work for your husband? She looks back in awe. Wow, she says. Absolutely not. I didn't mean to offend her, but I do want to know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. You just have to admit it is the craziest coincidence ever, I say. She looks down at her drink, then at me. Yes, it is. She takes a sip and continues. Did you know I was married to Tim? Her cleverness strikes me. I clam up for a second and sputter. (laughs) Funny, Liv. No, I didn't even know you were married, let alone to my freaking boss. Oh, please, she snaps back. We both know you didn't want to know any details about me. If you did, would it have even mattered? I sit there in silence for ten seconds, which feels more like ten minutes. She nudges me. Huh? Would it? I have no choice but to answer honestly and shamefully. No, uh, probably not. Except when I say it, I'm not feeling very shameful. But I am being honest. I want her to know that those thin, well-manicured fingers have a grip on my pulsing, mushy heart. It was that damn grip that left indents all week long. I was alone, but she was with me everywhere I went. Now, face to face, I have plenty of questions to ask her.
I don't know how to say this without you getting mad, I say. Will you promise me you won't get mad? Liv sighs. <sighs> yes, I promise. I stir my drink three or four times. I probably shouldn't ask you this, but Tim said something to me that I just can't shake. It's driving me nuts, actually. I pause for a half second. He said I reminded him of him. Is that why you were attracted to me? Her face turns red, maybe upset, but visibly possessing the look of a whimper. Christian, do you mind if we get out of here? Out of here? Oh, we just got here. I just don't want to have this conversation in a crowded bar. I do understand, but she did avoid answering the question. I don't even know why I care so much about it. I guess I just want to know. It would make sense if she thought I was a younger version of him. Well, where do you want to go? I ask. She downs the martini in one clean swoosh, places the empty glass on the table, tightens her lips, and furrows her brow. How about the ice cream shop down the street? Ice cream? <laughs> it's so cold. If you're not the type of person who can eat ice cream all year round, then you've got bigger problems. I can't help but laugh. Ice cream or not? She asks. Okay, okay, I say. Ice cream it is. Walking to the ice cream shop, I don't know what to expect. March is a mysterious month. You never know what the weather will bring. Tonight, the moon is full and bright enough to light up the chalk-colored clouds. I don't ask any questions during the walk. I watch our breath leave a trail in the night sky. It's a stolen moment of happiness in a precarious situation. A reminder that we're only human. I open the ice cream shop door for Liv, and a little bell jingles. There is no one in here except two young girls working behind the counter. Perhaps the hidden benefit of going to get ice cream in the winter. A secret, reserved for just Liv and me. You see, I closed the whole place just for us, I say. She can't hide the smile, although she visibly tries. So what will you have? I ask her. She takes a minute and looks at the chalkboard hanging behind the counter. You can barely make out the handwritten flavors in a variety of pastels. Just like a kid at the schoolyard, she looks at me with a girlish smile and says, Vanilla ice cream, hot fudge, dollop of whipped cream, and a cherry on top. <laughs> so an ice cream sundae? Yeah. We both smirk. It's the most classic ice cream order. Even the cherry, I mean... I hear people say that dumb cliché, cherry on top, all the time, but I can't remember the last time I actually saw someone get the cherry on top. Do I have to say the word dollop? I ask her. Yes, of course. Any more would be too much, and any less would be not enough. I can tell she's playing with me, but I like it. There are styrofoam cups on the counter. They remind me of a milkshake, so I get a coffee one. Styrofoam is perfect to shield your hands from the cold especially on an already chilly evening. There are only a few tables in the narrow shop, all tucked along the wall. We choose the last one in the row. Liv sits with her back to the door while I look directly at it. The big windows in front show me the moonlit sky, a perfect backdrop to look at Liv. It's the ideal contrast for her natural radiance. I don't feel Liv is avoiding moving forward in our discussion as much as I feel she is relishing the moment. But my anxiety is beginning to creep up again. After all, it is me who's in the worst predicament. I want to continue the real conversation, but I don't have to say anything. I think Liv senses what I'm thinking.
This is why I was attracted to you, she says. What? You came to the ice cream shop, she says. Sure, you gave me a little pushback, but we came. You even made a joke when we walked in. So that's why you were attracted to me? You are handsome, okay. You are sexy, so I am physically attracted to you. But you're also playful, she says. So when you asked me if you were like Tim, it reminded me that Tim isn't playful. That made me sad. I don't really know what to say next, so I just say the first thing that comes to mind. So I'm not like Tim. She looks dead at me. Don't be silly. I'm still confused. Does she think I'm joking with her? But I just roll with the moment. I take a slurp of my milkshake, then smile at her with coffee ice cream all over my teeth. She blurts. You see, that's what I mean. Tim would never do that. I find myself in a weird spot, defending Tim. Right, but Tim is also 49, and I'm 30. She takes a bite of her sundae, licks the back of the spoon, and pauses for a moment. Just enough time for me to pretend like that spoon is... She cuts back in before I can finish the thought. When I met Tim, I was about your age, and we got married two years later. He was charming, good-looking, and wore a Patek Philippe watch. She laughs to herself, then continues. Tim was many things, but never playful. And people don't change, Christian. They just learn to adapt, to survive. I was hypnotized by the thought of finally settling down and having a real future with someone who had a foundation, someone I could start a family with. I lived a very playful life before I met Tim. I went to concerts, traveled, and, well, experienced many things. I've had a lot of experiences. She laughs again. Liv is a minx. I've seen it in her eyes, and heck, I've been to bed with her. I'd done the same thing for the last ten years. Who am I to judge? So when I met you, Christian, she says, it took me back to those years prior to Tim. I felt something I hadn't in a long time. I felt alive. At that moment, Jack flashes into mind. It's kind of like what he was trying to suggest earlier today about Liv's intentions. Maybe everything is moving along exactly how it should be. For that to be the case, though, I have to follow through on the game plan. Find the strength, Christian. Find the strength. But I can't end it yet. My curiosity is percolating. I need more answers. But Liv, I have to ask you something. You won't get mad, right? Jesus, I'm not going to get mad, Christian. Just ask me. Well, I, I was in Tim's office today and I saw a picture of you and a young girl. Who is that? I can tell this strikes a chord. Liv's eyes instantly begin to swell, and her cheeks turn ruby red. She barely gets out her words. That's my daughter, she says. Honestly, I'm not shocked by this revelation. It's something I expected, but her emotion is what surprises me. Liv, are you okay? I ask. She rests her spoon into the ice cream places her hands over her eyes. She is trying to hold back the tears. I sit there not knowing what to say or how to respond. After a short while, a tear drops from her right eye. She tries to regain her composure, gasps for air, but more tears come tumbling out. I go to the counter, grab a few napkins, and give them to live. She twists them, dabs her eyes, and then fiddles with the napkin in her hands. 
That's not what you think, she says. I try to comfort her by reaching across the small table and taking each hand into mine. She looks me in the eyes while biting her upper lip to slow the waterworks. I didn't expect to get into all of this. I'm sorry, I just... I just... I had to ask. Liv cuts me off before I can get anything out. I get it, Christian, she says. You don't have to explain yourself. Why wouldn't you ask? You know. I'm still bewildered at why it's such an ordeal. I mean, I understand the kid changes the dynamic, but the emotional roller coaster is throwing me for a bit of a loop. What is it, Liv? I ask. Are you okay? I just need to catch my breath, she says. Give me a second. She removes her right hand from mine, leaves her left in place, grabs the napkin, and starts dabbing her eyes again. Now I'm starting to get nervous. What could it be? Three years ago, Tim and I were coming home from dinner in Manhattan. That night, Chloe, our daughter, was staying at a friend's house in Armonk. She was six. It was midnight when we arrived to pick her up, and she was already asleep. Tim plopped her in her booster seat, and she was sleeping again within seconds. We decided to take the back roads home that night. Liv takes a minute to regroup. I have a feeling where this might be going, and I don't like it. I can tell from her drawn-out expression, whatever she's about to tell me is much worse than the unease I'm experiencing. <sighs> On the ride back, we got T-boned by a drunk driver running a red light. And... Chloe died. I nearly knock over the milkshake as she says it. Now it's my eyes that feel swollen. Probably where all the blood went from my stopped heart. I feel terrible, not only for Liv, but Tim, too. I had no idea, and I don't think anyone in the office knows either. Why would we? It's not exactly the easiest thing to announce. Hey, I'm your new boss. By the way, my six-year-old daughter died a couple years ago. <sighs> it just doesn't make sense. I sit here in front of a daughterless mother, in disbelief, thinking no parent should have to witness their son or daughter die, let alone at the expense of some drunk in a pickup truck. The pain running through her body must feel like a sledgehammer to the heart. All I can do is mutter. That's awful. I'm so sorry, Liv. We sit there for the next few minutes in complete silence. I slurp my milkshake, and Liv eats her sundae, slow bite after slow bite. It is the longest five minutes of my life. I am speechless. Sure, there is so much to still talk about. The trip is looming, but I don't want to make it more difficult, so I stop asking questions. Liv breaks the ice. Christian, I'm happy I got this off my chest. Just reliving the moment over and over gets tiring, but it's part of my story now. Tim's too. You must really miss her, I say. You have no idea. I'm always playing back in my mind what we could have done differently, she says. Got a sitter that night, taken the highway home, not gone to dinner in the city with Tim's stupid friends. Ugh, the possibilities are endless. You can't think about what could have been. That's going to kill you forever. The loss is hard enough. You're right. It's just so hard, she says. I try to bring a little light into the darkness. I grab her hands and tell her, You're a beautiful woman with at least another 40 years in front of you. Your future is bright. 40 years? She asks. Oh, how old do you want to be? Anything after 80 is a blessing. Okay, I can live with 40. You know, Tim and I really hit a rough patch for about a year after Chloe passed. 
Tim was doing well at work, I was home alone, and the thought of having another kid was starting to fade. We were just too hurt, she says. Tim had amassed a bunch of company stock over the years. After Chloe passed, he decided to sell it and buy that golden beach house. It was our chance to escape and bring some joy back into our life and start over. It made sense to me. They were scraping, crawling, and searching for anything to distract them from what happened. A living hell, I guess. I can only sit there, listening to her. It worked for a while, too, she says. For the first year after we bought the house, we went down every chance we had. We made some new friends. It was great. Year two, Tim took the new job with Perkins, and we didn't go down as much. So it didn't surprise me when he said he wanted to host the winner of that award down there. Just another way to get some use out of it. That award? I say. I see a hint of a smile from her. Sorry, you know what I mean, she says. Anyway, I go down there with Emma as often as I can, just to get away. You remember Emma, right? <laughs> yes, of course. The night we met, she ran off with some guy dressed head to toe in John Varvados. Liv thought about it for a second, and giggles. Finally, she's smiling again. Right, she says. Wow, funny how everything seems to connect. That's Ty, and he's actually our neighbor in Florida. He's a real character. Emma met him in Florida. Then he was up in the city for the weekend. They were texting, and she got him to drive up here. Seems to connect all right, I say. John Varvados saw us together. He's your neighbor, which means he knows Tim. First of all, relax. Second, his name is Ty, and trust me, he doesn't care. Third, he's not an immediate neighbor. He just lives in the area. You're killing me, I say, shaking my head. She continues laughing. Relax. Ty is the exact opposite of Tim. They don't exactly see eye to eye. Ty is more like you. He has that playfulness. Liv reaches out and grabs my chin from across the table. Don't ever lose that playfulness, she says. I'm just hoping I don't lose my job. Liv's eyes light up. You'll be fine. Trust me. I sigh. Let those words soak in and take another sip of my milkshake. The whole time we've been sitting there, not one soul has walked into the shop. The girls behind the counter are just chatting and fooling around on their cell phones. It seems like the entire world stopped for Liv and me. I am supposed to be discussing how we'll play out this whole situation between us. I have to end it. I know the stakes, but after she tells me about her daughter, I feel a much deeper connection. It feels like her aura is pulling me in like the world's strongest magnet. Before the forces get too strong, I have to blurt it out. I hate to say this, but you know we have to end this, right? I know, she says. I was expecting a much grander response. Maybe some pushback, but I get nothing. A piece of me wants her to fight for me. Tell me, no way, we can't stop. But she is too exposed to the harsh realities of life. I can understand, but still, I'm hoping for a little push and pull. God forbid something happens like Tim does find out. Then we can always fall back on we had no idea who each other were when we slept together, I say, then pause. You know what I mean, right? I do, but that backup story seems better for you than it does for me. Think about it. You're in the clear because you just slept with a nice piece of ass, she says using air quotes. You had no idea. It's easy to explain. 
However, me, I'm the whore who cheated on my husband with some random guy she knew nothing about. Right, but I'm the one with my life on the line. My life isn't? She says. Uh, okay, uh, that came out wrong. You know what I mean? Here's how I see it, Liv says. The only way for us to have an equal amount of skin in the game is for us to sleep with each other again, tonight. Every organ in my body knows this is a bad idea. Except my penis. The problem is, the penis is like a foreman. He bosses everyone around, and the only way you get out of doing what he says is to quit the job. It's a love-hate relationship. The foreman gets the job done, but you're powerless. Liv continues. If this is going to be the last time we ever spend a night together, then we should probably take advantage of it. Now my personal foreman starts to rally my heart. The last time ever. It sounds so final. That's what I want. But why do I feel sad about it? I really do want her. Every part of her. That is something I can't deny. The penis and heart tandem is too much for my brain to handle. Shit. Fine. But here's the deal. I say and pause for a second. I'm listening, she says. You have to tell Tim you're not going to Golden Beach. No way, she says. That will never fly. He'll freak out if I don't go with him. How about you don't go instead? No way, I can't do that. It's an honor for me. Plus, Undercuffler will be there. I can't let him go alone. I can't let him get the upper hand. It will make me look bad. Christian, she says, grabbing my chin again and looking me dead in the eye. This is silly. Tim isn't going to find out. We're overthinking this. We're adults. It's just three nights and four days. It will come and go, and then it will be over. I catch my breath. <sighs> you're right, you're right. We can handle it. She takes her hand off my chin and sits back. So, are you bringing a date? Ugh, I knew this question was coming. I wanted to say, yeah. A piece of ass so hot that even you'd want to go down on her. But fuck, I have to tell her the truth. I'm bringing Jack. Jack? Remember my buddy from the other night? She almost spits out her ice cream. You're bringing Jack? What? She starts to laugh. What do you want from me? I got no other options. Tim suggested it. Like I said, playful. Only a playful guy would bring a good friend over a date to a work vacation. Oh, whatever, I say, dismissing it. But maybe she is onto something. I don't know. Either way, Jack is coming. I should just tell her what Tim said about no whores, but the last thing I need is to stoke that fire. I look over at her, peer directly into her eyes, and ask, So, are we really going to do this one last time, then? I think so, she says. Yeah? Well, I want you... She says, do you want me? I nod and say, my place. Let's go. I don't have much to offer at my place except myself and alcohol, although tonight I'm pretty sure Liv will be okay with that. I've got an empty fridge, minimal decor, few books scattered around, a guitar, big screen TV in the living room, laptop, and four or five bottles of alcohol. Oh, and I keep some lemon-flavored club soda in the icebox for a makeshift Tom Collins. The ride up the elevator is less eventful than last weekend. This time, fireworks are going off in my stomach. All nerves, no calm. 
When we get inside, Liv takes her overcoat and bomber jacket off and tosses her stuff on the coffee table. She sits on the edge of the couch with her knees poking out of her jeans. So, this is how bachelors live these days. <laughs> What's the matter, you don't remember? She smiles and says, Oh, I remember. I had a look around last week. Obviously, that didn't scare me off. You want a drink? Vodka, gin, whiskey, or tequila? Just the essentials, huh? By this time, I'm standing in the kitchen and laughing to myself. I raise my voice to say, Go easy on me, will ya? I'm an unattached male. She yells back, I'll take whatever you're having. I walk over from the kitchen, carefully balancing a full Tom Collins in each hand and making sure they don't topple over. Liv is perched on the couch with her nipples poking out from her t-shirt, tucked into the front of her worn denim. The thought of what lies underneath is enough to feel the warmth between my legs. It almost buckles my knees and sends the drinks flying. Liv points to the drink. What is it? Tom Collins. Well, kind of. I hand her one, and she takes a sip. It tastes like club soda and gin to me. Well, I'm missing some key ingredients, so like I said, kind of. So it's gin and soda, she asks. Lemon soda, I say. It's missing sugar and lemon juice. It'll do for now. I smirk. <laughs> Happy you approve. What? Nothing, you just make me laugh. Liv grins. Well, I have that effect on people, she says. So, do you have any music? Do I have any music? I say. Is that a serious question? Okay, let's play some music. But here's a question I don't think I've asked you yet. What's your favorite album? Wow, that's tough, I reply. I grew up in the era of the song. I mean, not totally, but streaming killed albums, don't you think? She puts her index finger over her lips and crinkles her brows. I guess you're right, she says. I think you can always make a case that the hit song was more important than the album. These days, very few people know albums. They just know the hit songs. In a way, albums were probably always more important for the artist. It's this kind of sensibility that tickles me deep in my core, an area most women can never get to, nothing physical can reach. You might be right. Hmm, my mom and dad grew up in the hippie generation, she says. They were all about peace, love, and happiness. I think that really seeped into me, and was why I made some of my early life choices. It was all I knew. Then, eventually, I just wanted to escape the lifestyle I grew up in. But the music never left me. How could it? It was magical. As she is speaking, I can't wait to jump in. You know, I always liked music, but I didn't really get into it until college. My folks weren't into it so much, I say. College is when I picked up playing the guitar and gained more of an appreciation for 60s and 70s era rock and roll. I really dove in at that point. I knew you loved that music era, she says. We talked about it last weekend. Too drunk to remember? I just laugh. I don't really forget, I just pretend like I do. How could I forget? Her interest in rock and roll was one of the unexplainable qualities that had dazzled me all week. I remember, I remember. The Stones song, Miss You, came on at the Fatty Duck. That was actually in the late 70s, I say. Okay, here you go. Talk about full circle. Miss You is a great song, but sounds nothing like the rest of the Some Girls album. For example, I don't even know how Beast of Burden and Miss You are on the same album. Wait, 
So do you like the album or song better? She asks. Song, for sure, I reply. Actually, did you know that song was the result of Jagger spending a little too much time in Studio 54? What song? Beast of Burden? No, Miss You. I didn't know that. It doesn't surprise me, she says. He was supposedly a freak back then. I would have sex with him. Well, who wouldn't have sex with Jagger? The guy oozes sex. Even I wouldn't think twice. She hits my leg and takes a sip of her drink. It's true, she says. Okay, Mrs. Album, what's your favorite? I ask. Ah, I knew this was coming. There's one album that I love. Everything about it. It's almost like the soundtrack of my life. I'm on pins and needles. What is it? Imagine. Lennon? By himself? Really? All those great Beatles albums. Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper's, Abbey Road. And Lennon by himself trumps them all? She stares at me. Her smile goes flat. Her eyes turn sullen. Christian, she says. Those are all great albums, but Imagine is special for a different reason. Hear me out. I take down half of my drink in one gulp, waiting for her response. Liv continues. That album was about passion, honesty, and stood for something bigger. You had everything that was going on with the civil rights movement in Vietnam. Lennon was an enormous star. Yet, he found himself under duress for leaving the Beatles. Or, should I say, for the idea that Yoko drove him away from the Beatles. Really, he was just a guy who fell in love. Was Yoko nuts? Maybe. So what? It was Lennon saying, This is who I am. This is what I stand for. Take it or leave it. Wait, so I still haven't heard you say anything about the actual album. Don't be a wise-ass, she says. I love everything everything about that album. You have Imagine, the song, as powerful and collective as any song could ever be. One of the greatest songs ever, and songs that ring so true to the human condition, crippled inside, and how. John literally says screw you to Paul with How Do You Sleep. Some people don't like that, but I think it's the perfect embodiment of how there's darkness and pain within all of us. A little voice fighting to be heard. I'm not going to go through every song, but I can if you want me to. Right as I begin to answer, she jumps back in. Oh, and you have to love how the album ends. Oh Yoko is just this upbeat jingle that leaves you feeling good, which is needed after going through such a gambit of human emotions. It just pulls everything together. Kind of like, here it is. She's my future. The whole thing, it's just a very emotionally charged album. One that I've gone back to so many times throughout my life. I can see her spirit shooting out from every orifice of her body. I can feel how much she really loves this album. She almost has me convinced, enough so that I put the album on, and for the next 40 minutes we sit, drinking our cocktails, and listening to it straight through. Maybe this is an early look at heaven. God, I hope I make it. Liv talks me through each track. Her insights all relate to the highs and lows of her life. I can't figure out whether I'm more enamored with her physical or mental being. It is her beauty that grips me, but her inner child that holds me. The tiger in front of me has been caged for too long, domesticated and tamed, and this makes me sad. Not just for her, but for us. This all feels more like the beginning rather than the end. Just as she interprets, the album ends on a high note. The alcohol swirls in our bellies and she asks me to play her a song on my little Martin. 
This always happens. Alcohol plus guitar equals song. Ah, do I have to? Yes, you have to. Ugh, fine, I say. The guitar represents everything I wish I was in this world. Maybe this is why I always cringe to play in front of people. Everyone wants to hear you, but nobody really listens. It also represents a rough time in my life after I stopped playing baseball. The guitar is where my time went, and my dad hated that. Well, there, and drinking and chasing women. Well, what do you want me to play? Anything, she says. I hate when people say anything. It's like, what the F do I play? There's too many songs to choose from. I fire through songs in my head, but I can't think of anything. Plus, the gin has me a little foggy. Uh, do I really have to? I ask. Fine, she says. You don't have to. Shit, I can't go down like that. I have to play at least one song. No, no, I, I will. I want to, I say. I've got to pick a song that will tug on the heartstrings. One that doesn't matter if I'm bad or not. Hurry, Christian, think. Somewhere deep in the crevices of my mind, I find my inner salesman. Corny, probably, but perfect for two star-crossed lushes, drowning in emotion at midnight. I strum an acoustic version of Something Like Olivia by John Mayer. Her smile deepens, and there's a twinkle in her eye. The rhythm only has the faintest resemblance to the original, but the lyrics seem to put her in a daze, more powerful than five Tom Collins drinks. Certainly enough to distract her from the fact that I'm not John Mayer. I finish the song, and she whispers, About me? I smile. Did you like it? How could I not? She says, smiling. It gave me chills. I guess that's a good thing. Christian, you're so good, she says. Wow, I'm impressed and flattered. Liv flips her hair over one eye and continues. You know, you didn't have to play that song to have me tonight, right? Music has a way of reducing people down to their purest form. I bet she's wondering if I mean what I just sang, but she didn't ask. It doesn't matter. That's the power of music. I place the guitar on the ground and look at her, saying everything I want to say with my eyes. Liv sits there looking back at me, our eyes locked, saying a million things without using a word. The temperature is rising. She slowly stands up and begins walking toward the bedroom. I'm hypnotized, her bare feet tiptoeing along on the hardwood floor, and her slim body swaying from side to side are mesmerizing. At the doorway of the bedroom, she removes her t-shirt in slow motion and lets it fall to the floor. Standing there in nothing but her jeans, with her bare back facing me, she looks over her left shoulder and pauses for the slightest moment. Are you coming or what? she says. Her clothes sprinkled all over my living room remind me of the scattered thoughts I had about our predicament, but her body is a glowing light pole in the night, just leading me further into the abyss. Her perfect shoulders, only accentuated by the plushness and tone of her skin, leaves me no choice but to gulp once, then run to her. She scampers into the bedroom, and when I walk in, she's lying there completely naked. I want to be romantic, but an eroticism overwhelms me. It's not just my mental being that is under a spell. I can feel the physical nature of her presence brewing under my jeans. The only thing that surpasses the thought of my lips on her stomach is my lips on her stomach. With each kiss down her midsection, I feel her legs tighten. There's a peach fuzz that you can only see from the angle I am at 
but can feel on my mouth. It's the feeling of enchantment. Little kiss by little kiss, I can hear the sound of her heart. I roll my eyes up, and she is looking down at me, a paparazzi to the experience. Her brows furrow and eyes squint, portraying a bright tone of green. She can't take it anymore. Liv leans up, tosses my head back, tears off my shirt, and pulls me closer to her. She throws me to the side, kisses my stomach, and unbuttons my jeans. The only thing that lies between the truth is a thin piece of denim. Certainly not enough to stop the inevitable. A tingling sensation runs through me, and I lose feeling in my penis for a brief moment. It's the goosebumps that remind me this isn't a dream. Life isn't being sucked out of me, it's being blown into me. Full of energy and completely attuned, I am merciless with her for the rest of the night. How can I not be? It is everything I wanted, and now have, even if it is only for one night. Chapter 10 The two weeks leading up to the trip are torture. I dodged him like an ex-girlfriend in a bar. At every sighting, I turn the other way. I barely reply to his emails, give short responses, and avoid any unnecessary interactions. I just don't want the reminder of Liv in my mind, and I know way more than I should about Tim, the father and husband. It is a mindfuck of epic proportions. I keep telling myself, I can do anything for four days, right? I'm not sure how much I believe it, but it's all I got. I follow through with my end of the bargain, and quit live cold turkey. I get off pretty easily, and really, I have no choice. I don't know where she lives, I don't have her phone number, and I'm not searching to find out. I'd be lying if I don't say each day that I hope she breaks her commitment to me. She knows where I live. I could come home one day and see her standing there, waiting in the lobby of my apartment building. One night I even had a dream that she was there, and I woke up in a cold sweat, then couldn't fall back asleep. Hate it when that happens. I had an important meeting the next morning and I felt like a zombie. It was brutal. As the trip inches closer, I get more and more one or two line emails from Tim. Emails like, you all set to go have some fun in Florida? It's all standard although I can't escape the thought in my mind that one of those emails will be the one that drops the hammer. Is it a thought I'm going to have to learn to live with? Forever? I don't know, but it sure feels like it. Finally, the day arrives to fly down to Florida. It's a wet day, and I don't like flying in the rain. There's more turbulence. I'm usually good with flying, but the takeoff is the worst part. Your body can't adjust fast enough to changes in altitude. Never mind when the weather is bad, then the jet bounces up and down and you lose your stomach about three or four times. The entire trip I ask myself, how necessary is this trip? That's my greatest fear. Dying in a plane crash on a trip I didn't have to go on. What a terrible way to go. This one is necessary. Dangerous, but necessary. For work, but also to see live. It might be the last time I see her. The sweetest words are, We've reached cruising altitude. It's now safe to unbuckle your seatbelts. I love those words. The flight flattens out and you get your stomach back for a while. Jack and I don't talk much until the day we meet at the airport. He's busy, I'm busy, I don't know, but we just haven't seen each other much. 
He does know about the new developments in my situation, though. I gave him an abbreviated version of the story. Liv and I ended it, but we slept with each other again. He doesn't need to know about the emotion or connection involved. Most guys don't seem to want to hear about that stuff anyway. The truth is, being feminine is too big of a shot to the ego. It's dumb, but I play by the rules. Jack doesn't need to know anymore anyway. Last weekend, I played hooky from going out with Jack while suffering from live withdrawals. Just couldn't get myself to go boozing. But saying you can't go out because you miss a girl too much just don't fly. Maybe in the movies that's endearing. In the real world, your buddies look at you like you've been in an institution or something. A good catch is the best remedy for being lovesick. But that means I have to go fishing. I'm not crazy. I just don't have the spirit I need to entertain other women. I can't bring myself to go fishing. Not yet. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm hoping something strange will happen that will enable Liv and I to be together. It's my little fantasy. I don't even know if she wants that, but it doesn't stop me from thinking about it, even when I know it's only a pipe dream. Maybe that's why I can't stop thinking about it. It's kind of like playing the lottery. Despite the crappy odds, there's an imprint in my mind that will forever read, Maybe. It's a full flight. I'm sitting in the window seat, Jack in the middle, and a little old lady on the aisle. If there's one thing Jack respects, it's the pull of a woman, so he doesn't break my balls about sleeping with Liv again. Not too bad, anyway. So, you banged her again, huh? He says. So, I banged her again, I say. We both chuckle. What are you going to do if she tries to pull a move on you down there? He asks. Not a chance that's going to happen, I say. Her husband, my boss, is going to be there? Yeah, but what if? He says. I mean, we're in the same house, dude. There's going to be alcohol. It's Florida. It's hot. People show more skin in the heat. I look at him and say, People show more skin in the heat? Jack laughs. <laughs> what? They, they do. You're ridiculous, I say, and shake my head. Anyway, I'll tell her to kick rocks. Oh, I'm not too sure about that. It's a moot point anyway, I say. She's not a dumbass. She knows the situation. We all do. And if I had a dollar every time I heard that one, I'd be a rich man, Jack says, then adjusts himself in the seat. So, what's the deal with this trip? What do you mean? Well, you know, he says. As much as it's a vacay, it's also a work trip. You're going to be with your boss and coworker. So are there going to be like planned things to do? Are we going to be able to cut out at night? Like what's the deal? I press that little round button, move the seat back and respond. Oh, right, right. So there's no specific work events. As far as I know, we're just going to be enjoying South Florida, I say. I mean, the house is in a pretty sweet location. I'm sure Tim has some shit planned, but nothing stuffy. Usually bosses like to show their human side in these non-work atmospheres. It's like the corporate-y way to say, I'm a cool guy too, I just have to be different at work. You know, get the employees and their wives on their side. The flight attendant approaches. Would you like something to drink? We also have peanuts, cookies, or pretzels. Would you like anything? She asks. I'll have peanuts in a club soda, I tell her. Yeah, I'll have what he's having, Jack says, then looks at me. So, what were you saying? Well, didn't you hear me? I'm not going to repeat the whole spiel. Basically, I'm sure it's just going to be fun. Jack takes our stuff from the flight attendant, hands me my goodies, and takes a sip of his club soda. Ah. <sighs>
he says with a sigh. It's a little weird that I'm coming, no? You're just thinking about this now? I say. We've already been over this. We both laugh. Maybe a little strange, but it's fine, I continue. I think, in a weird way, Tim likes that I'm bringing you. Hmm. We're definitely hitting Miami, right? Like, we're not just going to be cooped up in the house, right? Golden Beach is like smack between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. We'll play it by ear, but you know how things go once people start drinking. He sits back in the seat. Yeah, everyone is up for everything. Exactly, I say. It'll be fine. Jack puts his hat over his eyes and falls asleep. I've never been one to sleep on a plane. On the way, I'm too busy thinking about wherever I'm going. Maybe on the way home, once everything is over, and there's nothing to be excited about, then I can sleep. With Jack asleep, I have time to think about Golden Beach. I've driven through it before, but never stopped there. No reason, really. It's all residential. Most are multi-million dollar properties. It might be the smallest town in Florida. It rests on the edge of Miami-Dade County, the last stop before you hit Broward County. Sort of a crapshoot which airport you fly into, Fort Lauderdale or Miami International. Just another thing to get nervous about. What if I fly into the wrong airport today? Another tragic way to go. Picking the wrong airport. Talk about shit luck. (sighs) Fucking planes. They always bring morbid thoughts to my mind. There's too much to think about with this trip. Live... Tim, undercuffler, my penis pointing me in the wrong direction. I need something to distract me. I scroll through the movie selection, but realize we only have about 90 minutes left on the flight. I can't start a movie and not finish it. That's just more torture, and Lord knows I don't need any more of that. I open the window shade that has been closed since takeoff, crunch a few peanuts, and flip through the in-flight magazine. Nothing seems to engage me, so I stare out the window some more. Is that the thought someone has right before they join the Mile High Club? I don't really get the fascination with that, though. Gripping, certainly. But why not just wait until you land? Let the tension build up. The chase is usually the best part anyway. Does it count if you're on a private jet? I have more respect for the ones who pull it off on a commercial jet. The bathrooms are tiny, and, well, you're with 120 other people. Oh, I guess I can see it now. The value is in the difficulty. My drifting is disrupted by a knock to my right elbow. I turn my head from the window, and Jack is opening his eyes. Hey dude, is it hot in here? He asks me. I always travel with a hoodie and sweatpants. I never like to be chilly on an airplane. The travel anxiety is already bad enough. Forget being cold and uncomfortable. I'm not hot at all, so I reply, No dude, I'm good. He takes off his jacket, pulls down the neck of his hooded sweatshirt, and looks over at me with his eyes fully open. I ask, Are you alright? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, Just hot. Trying to get some air. You want some water? Oh, sure. I hit the service button on the screen in front of me. It takes a minute or two, and then the flight attendant comes over. Can I have a couple bottles of water? I ask. Couple? Yeah, one for me and one for him. Jack doesn't look terrible, so I'm not really worried or anything. He actually looks fine. She brings over the waters, Jack rips one from her hand, starts slugging it down before she can even hand mine to me. I apologize to her. Sorry about that, apparently he's thirsty. I can see that, she says. It's fine. Are you alright? I ask Jack again. Jack takes a big gasp. Oh, much better now. 
but his eyes suggest otherwise, and his face seems a little flush. It looks more like he's trying to be much better now than is much better. I turn my head back to the window. Not even five seconds pass, and I can feel Jack rustling next to me as he takes off his sweatshirt. I look back. Still hot? Yeah, I'm just trying to get comfortable. Do you mind if I drink your water? I don't even answer, and Jack grabs it off my tray table. I notice a bead of sweat fall from his head. Something is definitely not right with this dude. He looks at me. I need some air. Where are you going to get air? We're 30,000 feet in the sky, I say. Okay, maybe that isn't the best response. Sweat is now streaming down his forehead, and his upper lip is shivering. What the heck? He's trying to keep calm and not draw any attention from other people on the plane, but something is obviously wrong. Now he's in his t-shirt, two bottles of water deep, and panting like a dog at the beach. I hit the button again, calling for the flight attendant. Just keep breathing, buddy, I say. Jack's right arm bumps the lady next to him, and her old eyes possess a look of concern and sadness. She asks me, Is he alright? Why the fuck is she asking me? Relax. I've got to be nice. She's like 80. He's just hot, I tell her. He doesn't look alright. I know, lady. Just bear with us over here. Relax. Be nice. He's alright, I say. He just needs to get up and walk around. Can you get up so he can stand up? It takes her a moment to stand up in her creaky frame. Ah, poor lady. The flight attendant arrives before she even gets one leg in the aisle. What can I do for you? The flight attendant asks. She sees Jack sweating profusely in only a t-shirt now. Is he all right? She asks. I need some air. I need some air, that's it. The rest of the plane starts pointing, whispering, and chatting. Who's the wreck in seat 19B? The flight attendant asks, Did you take anything before you got on the plane? No, Jack replies. Are you sure? Yes, I'm freaking sure. I need some air. Okay, okay, the flight attendant says. Then she reaches over the old lady, grabs Jack's hand to help him up. Jack tries to squeeze by and steps on the little lady's foot. Oh my, she yelps. Can this get any more ridiculous? Be nice, I tell myself. She's old. Jack makes it through and walks to the back of the plane, drenched in his sweat. Are you okay? I ask the lady. Thanks, young fellow, she says, looking up at me. I'm okay. Is he all right? Oh, geez, I hope so. I sit back down and space out for a couple of minutes, then look back over my seat. Jack is sitting in the flight attendant area, with an oxygen mask over his nose and mouth. He looks a little better, but it's hard to tell. I want to go back and see him, but I figure it's best to give him some space. Ten minutes go by, and I can't resist pressing the service button again. When the flight attendant comes down the aisle, I ask how he is doing. He's fine. We think he just had an onset of anxiety. Like a panic attack? Oh, I used to get those, the little old lady says. Why is she talking? Yes, something like that, the flight attendant says. Sometimes people get claustrophobic on the plane and it triggers a rush of anxiety. Good news is that he's not sweating anymore. He's calm and doing well. That's great, thank you, I say, and reach out to shake her hand. Of course, she says, then continues. You can go back and see him if you'd like. On the way back, I gaze into a few people's eyes. Some look worried, and others look tired. It only takes about 30 seconds to get back there. Jack, you all right, buddy? 
Yeah, man, I'm good. I told you I just needed some air. Right, I say, then smirk. You just needed some air. I'm going to sit back here until we're ready to land, he says. No problem. This ever happened before? Sometimes I get mild anxiety, but never on an airplane before. I don't even know how it happened. Just started getting hot, felt boxed in. And next thing I know, I'm gasping for air. Well, you're good now? Next stop, sunny Florida, he says. I walk back to my seat, maneuver around the little old lady to avoid any more catastrophes, and plop myself down. Your friend okay? She asks. I nod. I hear her say something under her breath. Everyone is dealing with something. She's right. I never knew Jack dealt with anxiety. I mean, things always seem to roll right off his back. I meditate on that idea for a moment, but the stillness and empathy quickly start to fade. Is this a sign of things to come? I don't need any more damn obstacles. I look back over my right shoulder. Jack's laughing and smiling with the flight attendant. Fucking Jack. Chapter 11 The drive down A1A in South Florida is unmistakable. It's lined with palm trees and sky-high buildings. The Atlantic Ocean is to the east, and the intercoastal is tucked one block or two inland on the west. For the entire Uber ride from the airport to the house, I don't let Jack live down his airplane episode. Sure, I'm being an asshole, but this is what we do. Ultimately, I'm the one who's really screwed anyway. He doesn't let me forget that, either. Every chance he gets, he gives it back to me. So, how is this trip going to end? You fired, standing there with the rubber hanging from your Johnson, he says. (laughs) Real funny, dumbass. Don't worry, he says. I'll drag your ass into Miami, and we'll find you someone to occupy that mushy heart of yours. We both laugh, gaze out the window, and take in the sun-soaked scenery that surrounds us. He is right, though. I can't wait to see Liv. Oddly, I want to see how she's going to act. I know how she is when she's with me, but I'm curious about how she will act in front of Tim, and around all of us. I should probably be worrying a little more about myself, but thinking about her is more fun. I have countless images of her forged into my memory. Her eating ice cream, listening to music, those seductive eyes looking straight through me. All the while, her moaning plays in the background. You know you've hit Golden Beach when the apartment and condo buildings turn to residential homes on both sides. The entire town can't be more than a mile long, separated by A1A. The east is nothing but beachfront homes, while the west is partly mainland and three small islands, north, central, and south. Tim's house is nestled on a cul-de-sac at the southern tip of Central Island. Only about a thousand people call Golden Beach home, hard to even think of it as a town. Nonetheless, it is. The sun is blistering when we pull up to the house around 2.30pm. Looks small, Jack says. He's right. It doesn't look like much from the street. Well maintained, but not too big. A paved driveway, edged with green grass and palm trees on either side, leads up to a one-car garage on the left and faces toward the next-door neighbor to the right. A black two-door Jeep Wrangler is parked on the driveway. Set back to the right is an arched double-door entrance to a bleach-white house. (laughs) Very Florida. 
It has a funky roof with a long slanted pitch running from right to left. It gives the house this modern architectural feel. Odd, but cool. The house sits right on the intercoastal, the waterway that runs down the South Florida coast and divides the mainland from Golden Beach. I got a feeling the house is going to open up in the back, I tell Jack. I tip the cabbie, grab our bags, walk to the house, and ping the doorbell. Hmm, will Liv open it? Just as the thought enters, Tim opens the door. Christian, you made it, he says. And this is your friend? I shake Tim's hand and introduce him to Jack. They chit-chat for a moment as we step into the house. Tim suggests giving us a quick tour. Uh, Can I have a drink first? I ask. He laughs, thinking I'm joking. But I'm serious. Ah, whatever, I don't need one yet. Tim shows us around. The house has a completely open floor plan. Living room, kitchen, bar, and dining areas all seem to flow together. You can see straight through to the back of the house, where floor-to-ceiling windows give a view to the backyard. Everything is white. Floors, furniture, and walls. The interior matches the exterior. It's all very modern. There's an open staircase that leads to a one-floor master suite, equipped with a bedroom, office, walk-in closet, and fully outfitted bathroom that makes most bedrooms look small. Off the master, there's a huge balcony that has a 180-degree view that overlooks the in-ground pool, boating dock, and intercoastal waterway. We make our way back downstairs, and Tim shows us to the guest bedrooms. There's three in total. A big one on the right side of the home with its own bath and double doors that open to the pool. Undercuffler and Molly are staying in that room. The other two bedrooms flank the house to the left, but only one has sliders out to the pool. I'm staying in that room. Jack is staying in the other bedroom, which faces the front side of the house. It's a little room with one window that looks out toward the driveway. There's a full bathroom in the hallway that Jack and I have to share. Of course I get the little kid's bedroom, Jack says. Oh, relax, it's just small, I say. It's not decorated in dinosaurs. I'm kidding, jeez, he says. I know, I know. All three of us move into the kitchen and congregate around the center island. I ask Tim, when is Undercuffler arriving? Not sure. I suspect he'll be here soon, Tim says. I'm happy you got in early, though. We'll go relax by the pool. Jack says, I'm going to go make a few calls, settle in until everyone else gets here, and take a nap. Yeah? You just got here, says Tim. He opens the fridge and starts pulling out beverages. I had a rough night last night, and the flight was, uh, a bit rocky. I laugh to myself. (laughs) Yeah, the flight was a bit rocky, all right. Really? Tim asks. Jack and I look at each other. I sure as hell don't want to get into it right now. Maybe it would break the ice a bit, but I don't want Tim to think I have a nervous wreck with me. Sounds shitty, but I'm trying to control the situation as much as possible. Tim continues to take stuff out of the fridge. Well, suit yourself. I hired a chef to make us dinner tonight, he says. Be ready by 7 p.m. You got it, Jack says, then looks over to me. I'm going to owe you one after this trip. You will, Tim says while pointing at me. But this guy right here, he deserves it. Who cares if he's got no bride? Oof, low blow, huh? I say. Jack heads off to his room. What would you like to drink? Tim asks. I'll take a Tom Collins. Ah, what's in that again? Club soda, lemon juice, sugar, and gin. What happened to vodka soda or a beer? Tim asks. 
<laughs> you asked, I say with a smile. He rummages through the fridge, then walks over to the small bar area. I don't have anything except club soda, he says. Who still drinks a Tom Collins? I laugh, but inside I'm thinking, me, asshole? Ah, just give me a Corona and lime, I say. Tell me you have a lime. He laughs. Oh, I got a lime. I gotta admit, this all feels pretty normal. Tim is just a regular boss, and the trip is just something to honor me for my work. We're a couple guys just breaking balls in the kitchen. Then the phone rings. Hey, baby, I hear Tim say. Oh, how did I forget about Liv? I'm hoping that's her on the other line. Otherwise, Tim is a real asshole. Maybe I'm hoping for that, too. Right, right. Hey, can you pick up some gin and lemon juice? He says. Sugar? He asks. Why would I need sugar? Tim listens, then responds. No, we're good. Holy shit, did Liv already slip up? And then have to recover with an excuse? He covers the phone with his left hand. I got you, he says to me. I mouth the word, thanks. Liv knows what I drink, and she knows that I'm coming. That has to be her. Is she thinking about me? No, I know. It's not for me, honey. Christian and his butt buddy just arrived. Oh, so he's got jokes. Please don't make this hard on me, Tim. I can ruin you, and my life, right now. I mouth out the word, funny. Tim smiles. Okay, see you soon, he says. Then he hangs the phone up. Huh, now you will be able to have your Tim Collins. Tom Collins, Tim. Tom Collins. Oh, right, he says. <laughs> How can I forget? I shouldn't ask about who was on the phone, sugar, or anything that might raise red flags, but screw it. It's just one question. Who was that? I ask. It was Olivia, Tim says. She's out shopping with friends. She'll be back in a little bit. Oh, great. I look forward to seeing her again. What the fuck? Why would I say that? Oh, yeah? Forget Olivia. Wait till you see her friends, Tim says. Maybe they'll stick around. Then you'll really be in luck. Oh, really? Yeah, well, unless Jack is, you know, good enough for you. Why does he have all these damn jokes about being a homo or something? What's wrong with homos anyway? Just more costume humor of corporate America that's never tangled with the after 4am crowd. It's mostly harmless banter, and I have no choice but to take it like a heavy bag, shot after shot. I did bring Jack, after all. Maybe Liv's friends will actually be hot. It'll feel awkward, but shit, at least it'll provide me some relief. Come on, let's go out to the pool and try to get a few rays before everyone else gets here, Tim says. There's actually something I want to talk to you about. Talk about? He would have already talked to me about Liv, so I'm not worried about that. It feels more work-like to me. I get changed and go lie in a lounge chair beside the pool. Tim gets there a minute later, brings our beers over, and we watch the boats pass by on the intercoastal for a while. We're both wearing sunglasses, which is good, because the sun is reflecting off the pool directly into our eyes. It's also good because it means your eyes can wander and you won't look like a creep. Tim has the body of a 50-year-old man. Not fat, not old, but 50. It's the kind of body a costume hides well. He's trying, but time catches up, and 50 is 50. Plus, when you have money, it grabs you and says, Come here and have a taste of the good life. And his body shows he's been listening to that voice. We sit there making small talk about the weather and whatnot, 
Then he lowers his glasses as if to get serious for a moment. Christian, he says. I'm happy we got some time to chat before everyone else gets here. These are normal words you might hear from a boss, but in my situation, any moment can turn into a butcher block. I'm walking on a tightrope that could snap at any minute. I don't lower my sunglasses, afraid of what he might say, and I continue to look forward. Me too, I say. What's up? Your work has been exemplary, Christian, since I've been at Perkins, and from what I understand, prior to that too. I've seen the year-over-year numbers, and I want you to hear this from me. I wiggle the lime in the near-empty Corona bottle and listen intently to hear what's coming next. Nobody else knows this, but Olsen is going to be moving on to a new role in the company. He's actually relocating. I want you to be his replacement. I see a lot of me in you, Christian. Damn, I hate when he says that, but holy shit. This isn't just another pat on the ass. Go get him, Charlie. Here's some more praise. Is he really promoting me? Nobody else knows about this, and I'd like to keep it quiet for now, mostly out of respect for Olsen. His move will be official in a month, and it will be announced in a couple weeks, at which time I'd like to have a replacement to announce along with it. You're the one, Christian. You're my guy. I can tell he's looking at me. I don't move, I just sit there, soaking in everything I've just heard. So, what do you think? He asks after a few seconds. I think I'll have another beer, I say. Tim laughs and says, Look, I know it's going to be a lot more responsibility, but with that comes a raise. Big one. Actually, a completely different comp plan with stock options and bonuses. Wow, I really don't know what to say, Tim, I say. Coming down here, I did not anticipate this. Honestly, neither did I, he says. But then the whole thing happened with Olsen last week. I thought, well, I have two of my best coming down to Florida in a week. And I did tell you before the awards dinner you had my vote. After a closer look at everything, you still have my vote. It's really an honor that you would consider... Tim cuts me off. Before you say anything, I know it's a lot to take in. It's a different role for you. I'm not expecting you to jump in my lap. Although, I wouldn't mind. He laughs, then continues. So, take a week or so and think it over. Then let me know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's just enjoy the weekend. I take a deep breath, knowing he fully expects me to take the role. Take some time to think it over is the standard mumbo-jumbo. Deal, I say. Tim takes the final swig of his beer, throws his arms out as the sun beats down on his chest, and lets out a big, Ah, look at this, he says. Paradise, you're on your way, kid. I smile, and he continues. Plus, you'll get to work a lot more with me. He raises his empty bottle to salute. So I raise mine. Let me grab you another, he says. Out of everything Tim just told me, it's those last couple sentences that are still lingering in my mind. I'd have to see a lot more of him? Now how the fuck was I going to manage doing that? An entire relationship built on a lie. Is it even possible? I guess people do it all the time, but I can't imagine it ending well. Does it ever? Maybe I can manage to get five or ten good years in before it all burns down. Maybe Tim will get fired at some point. Anything can happen, I guess. As I'm about to dive deeper into the thought, I'm distracted by Tim's voice talking to someone in the kitchen. I turn, lower my shades, and spot Undercuffler and Molly. Tim points out to me, and I raise my hand up. They wave back. Undercuffler begins to walk over. Hey, buddy, I say. 
Not much different from the office, huh? He says. You're working extra hard over here? Typical dumb undercuffler joke. I stand up and shake his hand. Something like that, I say. Glad to see you made it down okay. Yes, it was a rough morning, he says. We had some problems with the little one and Molly's mom had something come up so she couldn't watch her for the weekend. I had to get a hold of my mother. She was kind of complaining, but we made it. Hmm, sounds like fun. <laughs> yep, fun, he says. I'm just looking forward to a few days of relaxation. I hear you, man. Tim comes waltzing over and hands me another beer. Mark, let me show you around. There's something about knowing you have one up on a guy that just makes you feel good. It's a shitty thing to think, but it's true. Just knowing Tim prefers me over Undercuffler helps me act differently toward him. There's no pressure, no competition anxiety, just confidence. The idea of me being Undercuffler's boss starts to get me hard. Not that I'd be a total asshole, but it would be nice. I consider the alternative and instantly feel my bowels move. Oh, fuck that. The thought of Undercuffler as my boss makes me queasy. Maybe it wouldn't be much different from the double team I get from him and Olsen now. Ah, whatever. I don't need to worry about that today. I sit back down, put my feet up, and intend to enjoy what's left of this sunny afternoon. But even that gets ruined. Within ten minutes, I feel a drop of rain. I open my eyes to see mostly sun, with a patch of dark clouds coming from the southeast. I hear Tim yell from the kitchen. Come on inside! The rain starts to pick up. I grab my shit and lightly jog back to the house. Oh, that sucks, huh? I say as I walk through the sliding doors, closing them behind me. I stamp my wet feet on the mat. It's not so bad, Tim says. Just your typical Florida afternoon sun shower. They come and go. The water starts to come down in droves. You can hear the raindrops pelt the windows. Tim continues. Don't worry, it'll pass. Undercuffler tells Tim about his busy morning. Molly is in their room unpacking, and after a few minutes, he joins her to rest up until dinner. Tim and I stand there in the kitchen, watching the water running down the windows. It resembles a melting face, maybe a sad one, reminding you that it was nothing but sunny minutes earlier. What time is dinner again? I ask Tim. 7 p.m. The chef should be getting here shortly. I looked at my watch. I have about two hours. I'm going to head up to my room for a while. Sounds good. See you in a few. As soon as I lay my head on the pillow, I hear a person come through the front door and some faint conversation. Is that Liv? I'm too exhausted to get up or to listen any closer, but a sixth sense tells me that might be her. Chapter 12 I oversleep, which makes me slightly late to dinner. I feel bad because Jack doesn't know anybody except Liv, who he is not supposed to know. This is the thought that puts a fire under my ass. I can hear soft banter in the background, suggesting people are mingling about in the main room. Sometimes having no time to think about what to wear and how you look is better than having too much time. No second guessing. What's it matter, anyway? Within minutes, I'll be thrown into the tornado, spun in any direction, just hoping I land on my feet. I don't walk more than two steps into the main room before I hear my name howled out. Christian, you're alive! It's Jack, 
and he's in the kitchen with Undercuffler and Tim. They're fixing some drinks while the chef runs around with a helper plating appetizers. Jack appears to be in a particularly good mood. I ask him, how many drinks have you had already? He smiles, only two. I've got your drink waiting for you, Tim yells to me. Undercuffler blurts out, you've got quite the friend here. I'm assuming he's referring to Jack. Undercuffler is a stiff, so the range of things Jack could have said or done is too wide to even guess. I'm left to only speculate. I notice Tim is making four martinis. That's Liv's drink. Where is she? It seems like too, too many, though, until I see four heads with long hair through the sliders. Unless I'm delusional, there are definitely four females sitting on the patio furniture. Everyone's outside. Let's go, Tim says. Christian, I have a couple friends I want to introduce you to. You're going to like this, Jack says. It's a beautiful evening. The rain has subsided, only leaving the slightest breeze. The back patio looks different in the dark. It's lined with tiki torches, flickering in the night sky and reflecting off the pool water. It makes for a calming effect, which I'm going to need to get through the night. There is yacht rock playing on the stereo system. I can't make out the song, but that's probably a good thing. Palatable ones in this genre are few and far between. The first time I saw Liv at the Fatty Duck, she was eating dinner with her back to me, and that's exactly how I'm greeted now. That dirty blonde hair and those shoulders are a dead giveaway. Sure enough, there's two other females sitting on the couch, also with their backs to me, as I walk out. The only one facing me is Molly, with her girlish grin and rosy cheeks. Leanna and Emma? Meet Christian, says Tim. Motherfucker, Emma is here too? I have to pretend like it's my first time meeting her. She doesn't slip up either. I must admit, Emma looks quite different under the Miami sky than she did in Connecticut. More relaxed. Leanna is very alluring, with long, straight black hair, tan skin, and large breasts. No question about it, they're fake. She seems to possess a confidence that radiates off her. It is her youthfulness that sticks out amongst all traits, though. Not overly young, just noticeable by comparison. Well, pleasure to meet you both. I say, and shake their hands. All the women are wearing sundresses and heels, not leaving much to the imagination with their sun-kissed necks, shoulders, and legs, all exposed. Even Molly, who apparently has left her homeliness back north, isn't too shabby. Tim points at Liv and says, And you remember my wife, Olivia? The words come out of his mouth in slow motion. Liv gives me a quick glance, the first time we've crossed eyes in over two weeks then takes a sip of her martini. I stutter for a moment, brace myself, then sputter out. Of, of, of course. How can I forget? Pleasure to see you, Liv. Fuck, did I just say that? Yep, I did. Tim furrows his brow and says, Liv? Nobody's called you that in years. Jack butts in. He always calls people by their nicknames. For instance, my real name is Jackson. I can't figure out what's worse, me slipping with Liv or Jack's Jackson comment. Okay, me slipping with Liv. Jack's Jackson cover was actually pretty decent. Sorry, I meant Olivia. It's just instinctual, I say. Maybe that's the salesman in me. Tim smiles. Always on, this guy. Always on, he says to everyone. Liv takes another sip of her drink. I see her gulp this time. Don't worry, Liv is fine, she says. And likewise, Christian, good to see you again. 
Then she turns her head quickly in the other direction to continue conversation with Leanna. Tim never bothers to introduce me to Molly, so I take the opportunity to switch focus and say hi to her. She looks happy. Her and Undercuffler sit together like two birds in a nest. Harmless, maybe, but keeping watch from above? Certainly. Why would Liv invite these friends? She has to know what she is doing. She knows I'm here. Is she trying to set me up? Is she trying to test me? Why do I even care? I'm here for business, not Liv. I should just be moving on. Jack breaks my thoughts with a comment about Emma. She looks good, dude, he whispers. And don't worry, I didn't spill the beans. I ignore the comment, not because I don't want to respond, but just to keep a cool image. My curiosity is killing me, though. I turn to Tim. So, how did these two end up here? When Liv came back from shopping, I insisted her friends stay for dinner, Tim says with a raised voice. There goes the quiet. I mean, it's not every day we have two young bachelors staying with us. It's true. I have no choice but to laugh. The girls don't seem to mind, even though it's sort of at their expense. They seem to like the attention. It settles my nerves and answers the lingering question in my mind. Liv isn't behind them coming at all. Uh, this is Tim's doing. The cocktail hour goes just fine, and dinner is excellent. Everyone has their best costumes on, wearing their masks, and is playing nice. It would be too dangerous any other way, so I'm thankful for that. The alcohol does provide a lubricious component to an evening. Slippery when wet seems to apply to many aspects of life. This is one of my big concerns. With each drink down, I lose more of my ability to control the situation and my actions. Drinking is a given, though, so, like a skydiver, I need blind faith. Everywhere I look, there's a fucking liability. Liv, Emma, and Jack know the truth. Undercuffler and Molly are basically the police. Tim is, well, Tim. And Leanna is the only one who is completely oblivious. Between the gin and her sex appeal, she starts to feel like the escape route. A logical move in a sea of many illogical choices. A move everyone would expect me to take especially as Jack starts to get closer with Emma, making up for the last time. It leaves everyone coupled up. I want to steal Liv, put on some rock and roll, and live a little, but that just isn't going to happen. Tim by her side is hard to watch. When he kisses her cheek, I want to gag. Leanna represents the perfect refuge. Well, her and more gin, so that's what I gravitate toward. With the glaze spread over my eyes, it is rather easy to pull up next to Leanna on the sofa. She is engulfed in her cell phone, but I think I can win that competition. So, you didn't talk much during dinner, I say to her. I'm a little shy around new people, Leanna says, still looking at her phone. But you're not shy? I see the earliest beginnings of a smile. No, I'm not shy. I can tell. Oh, you can tell? What's that supposed to mean? How can you tell? She asks. Okay, that was definitely a dumb comment. If I'm not going to lose any ground, I need to think of something fast. Think, think, think. I attempt to hail Mary and say the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, you radiate confidence. She looks up from her phone. Good save, she continues. Nobody has ever said that to me before. Most people say, you're hot, or you're beautiful. It's not that I don't get flattered, but those comments just get old. Maybe I'm a bit cynical, but there's no way this woman doesn't like getting called beautiful. Her fake boobs, eyelashes, and nails signal she is trying way too hard to not enjoy being called beautiful. Not to mention the contouring done on her face. Plus, 
who doesn't enjoy a compliment? It just strikes me as if she's trying to make herself sound virtuous or something. Little does she know, I'm conditioned by the underworld. Just give me some truth. Wait a minute. Give me some truth? Damn it. Just like that, Liv is all I can imagine. I look back into the kitchen and see her. She's looking directly at me, as if she's been watching the whole time. I turn back to the conversation. Honestly, what does she expect? I look at Leanna and smile. Well, I meant it. She smiles from ear to ear. Apparently that's all I need to say. She gets more engaged, and we get lost in conversation for 20 minutes. It's mostly surface-level nonsense, but I need something besides alcohol to distract my mind. I do have empathy for Leanna, or at least that's the narrative I'm spinning right now. Anything could get old, even beauty. It also works for the moment. I mean, beauty is great in the moment. What? I'm not making sense. Shit, my head is spinning. When I look at the clock, it's already midnight. That's normally pretty early for me, but it was a travel day, so I am getting tired. I resume chatting with Leanna for about five or ten minutes, mostly about nothing, and when I look up again, I notice Jack and Emma are missing. Molly is gone, too. Undercuffler Tim and Liv are all chatting in the kitchen. Is that kiss-ass making his move? Bastard. Liv is sneaking glances toward Leanna and I every chance she gets. I want her to know that it's her I wish is on this couch, but I have to give this idea up. Take what I can get, just roll with it. So, I walk into the kitchen and make another drink for Leanna and me. It doesn't take long for Undercuffler to say something stupid. So, how's it going over there? I know what he means, but give me a break. Liv grimaces and says, Yeah, Christian, how's it going over there? I give it back to them. It's only midnight and all you old people are dropping like dominoes. Someone has to keep the party going. Undercuffler says, I'm not that much older than you, big guy. You might as well be, I say. Undercuffler does one of those dumb, one-huff laughs. Hey, hey, it was a travel day, Tim says. We're all a bit tired. Plus, tomorrow, we're going on the boat. That takes me by surprise. The boat? What boat? Tim says, well, I'm telling you now, buddy. Liv gets up to talk to Leanna. I have no clue what they're saying to each other, but they're pointing and shrugging. Liv looks back into the kitchen with a stare that could see through concrete. Thankfully, nobody else sees it. It's pointed directly at me. Then she turns back to Leanna, gives her the same look, and bolts up the stairs. The alcohol is giving me courage. <laughs> Looks like Olivia is the next domino, I say to Tim. <laughs> yeah, she had a long day. We're about to call it a night as well, he says, then moves a little closer and lowers his voice. Listen, I don't care what you do or how late you're up, but just remember, that's my wife's friend. Why is it that everyone immediately assumes I have the worst intention? Christ, he's the one who insisted they stay in the first place. I got it, I got it, I say. We're good. I walk back into the living room, hand Leanna her drink, sit next to her, and notice a small frown on her face. What's wrong? I ask. I hate when people try to control me. What do you mean? I can make my own decisions about life, she says. Olivia wanted to get an Uber for me, but I told her I'm going to hang for a little while, because I'm enjoying your company. Leanna takes a sip of her drink, then puts it back on the table in front of her. It just felt weird. She seemed a little upset that I wanted to stay. I insisted I was okay and reminded her that I drove here. Why invite me and then tell me to leave? I want to tell her, technically, Liv didn't invite her, Tim did, but I'm not about to go down that road. I know what's really going on here with Liv. 
I take the high road and don't get tangled in their dispute. You know, she is probably just trying to be a good friend, I say. I wouldn't read too much into it. You're probably right, she says. Sorry to kill the convo. Where were we? All the signals point toward Liv still being emotionally attached. I'm relieved to know she cares, even though I know I shouldn't be. But I'm a long way from being able to understand Liv's feelings. I'm well-oiled and alone with a woman who has rock-hard nipples blasting through her skimpy sundress. Not just any woman, either. A woman with a slight vendetta against Liv trying to control her. The worst way to get someone to do something is by telling them to do it. I almost wish Liv had been a little more savvy with Lyanna. Liv could have saved me from myself. Now I'm powerless in the grasp of evil and in the name of fun. Everyone has gone to sleep. Anything I'm saying seems to land. Lyanna and I are giddy like schoolchildren. In between one of the laughs, we sneak a kiss, which seems to light up her eyes. Everything appears set. All I have to do is ask the question, so I ask it. You want to go to my room? Her response is as predictable as the sun that will rise in five hours. She just looks at me and nods with a smile. She asks, where's the bathroom? The famous last words of every woman ever getting ready to sleep with someone for the first time. In the meantime, I head into my own room. Just like the March sun that tricks beachgoers in New England, beauty has always been my downfall. I jump the gun and wind up in my swim trunks during 50-degree weather. I close the blinds that cover the floor-to-ceiling sliding doors, then sit on the edge of my bed. It gives me too much time to consider what is about to happen. Although completely justified in every sense, something inside is still questioning it. The delay is making me hem and haw about actually sleeping with Leanna. I remember a Bob Dylan line, You can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. It rattles me. Not knowing what to do, I look at my phone on the nightstand and read a text message from my father. Enjoy the trip. Proud of you. Dad. Ugh, that is the final nail in my coffin. I don't have the balls to say I can't go through with it. I don't have a good enough reason. Actually, I don't have any reason, except the one that doesn't make sense to anyone but me. I don't want to hurt Liv. Shit, why am I being such a wussy? I lay my head back and close my eyes and pretend to be asleep. I hear Leanna open the door and close it. She tries to wake me with some mating calls. A push, a shake, a whisper, but I ignore each attempt. I hear her murmur under her breath. You've got to be kidding me. She makes a few last attempts to wake me by gently poking me in the side. On her second poke, I open my left eye, pretending like I'm out of it. I say with a raspy tone, I must have fallen asleep. What time is it? She just looks at me with no response. Lay down, I mumble. Rest a little, you've been drinking. After a moment, she says, move over. I roll over, and the clock on the nightstand reads 2 a.m. I know I need to get her on the road before the sun comes up. Chapter 13 It's a dead silent morning. One of those mornings where even the clouds are wondering why you're out of bed. Look at this idiot they whisper to each other. I feel like screaming, I don't want to get up, but that might wake everyone. I only have about 30 minutes before sunrise. I've got to get Leanna out of here, and I could use some coffee. Now it's my turn to poke Leanna. I nudge her. Leanna, Leanna. She awakes in a daze, 
squints, mumbles, and admits it is best that she gets out of here before anyone else opens their eyes. You passed out last night, she tells me. I knew this was coming, so I'm not taken aback. I guess I had one too many drinks, I say. Maybe it was best? That's one way of looking at it, she says. Or a missed opportunity. I grin. I know, I know, it wasn't exactly good timing on my part. There's always next time? I guess we'll see. You can take my number. I take it, but no, I'll never call her. Last night, I escaped that scenario by the skin of my teeth. The last thing I'm going to do is jump back into that pressure cooker and hang out with her again. I know she's local, so I ask her, Are there any coffee shops around here? There's a little one about five minutes from here. Can I walk there? You can, but I wouldn't, she says. I can take you. Fuck, I don't want her to come back with me. Uh, you can just drop me off and I'll grab a car back. Don't want to inconvenience you. It's really not a big deal, she says. I just look at her for about 20 seconds, raise my eyebrows, open my eyes wide, and she gets the point. She understands the optics and agrees to drop me off and then head home. As I close the passenger door to Leanna's car and head into the coffee shop, I look back to see her yawn. Thanks for a great night, I say. Call me sometime, she says. I know that might be the last time I see her, so I savor the moment. I have to say, she does look beautiful, even in her tired morning state. A shame that she'll never hear me tell her. Oh well, so long, pal, I say to myself. So long. I look up and see a wooden sign that reads, Sun's Up Coffee. It seemed fitting, seeing as the sun is literally just starting to rise. <laughs> Jeez, how many people have had that thought? The cafe is tiny, a little box of a place with the delectable smell of freshly ground coffee beans. An older gentleman is behind the counter and greets me almost immediately as I walk through the door. Morning, amigo, he says. What would you like? Uh, give me just a minute. My brain still isn't firing on all cylinders, and I want a little more time to scan the menu. Oh, take your time, he says. We're not going anywhere. There are two tables on either side of the square-shaped room. A man is reading a paper at the right corner table, the only one in front of a window. The window on the left side is covered with a sign that reads, Ice Cold Coffee. <laughs> only in Florida. Only in Florida. Coffee is meant to be hot, especially in the morning. I don't care where I am or how hot it is outside. People who drink cold coffee confuse me. Maybe I can understand drinking it in the afternoon, but not in the morning. You need the heat in the morning just as much as you need the caffeine. And if you have the option, always a mug over a to-go cup. It's sturdier and makes you feel like you're doing something important. After all, that's why you're drinking the coffee in the first place, to wake up. Nothing wakes you up like hot coffee in a mug. It's important. Hey man, do I know you? The guy in the corner says. His voice has a deep, gravelly, gruff tone. I look over my right shoulder and he's peering above the edge of a print edition of the New York Times. I don't know, do you? I reply. He lowers the paper all the way down, places it on the table, and eyes me over the top of his reading glasses. Holy shit. It's the same guy who was at the Fatty Duck with Emma. The same guy Liv hoped I'd meet. I can't remember his name, though. John Varvados? No, that's not it. He still looks like that, too. Beaded bracelets, long hair, scruffy beard, two necklaces, short sleeve button-down with three or four buttons undone. But he's been Florida-ized, wearing Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. 
I can tell he still can't place me. Since he saw me with Liv, I have two options. One, pretend I never met him and choose to not add any more chaos to my life. Or two, introduce myself. I remember Liv saying I'm like him, or something like that. It's like she hoped I'd meet him. Right before I respond, I see he's drinking coffee from a mug. That sells me. So, I go with option two. We never met before, I say. You were at the Fatty Duck up in Connecticut a couple weeks back. He scratches his head. The Fatty Duck? You're friends with Emma and Liv, right? You were talking with Emma in the bar? Holy smokes, he says. Right, and you were talking with Liv. Yeah. Grab a seat, man. What's your name? Christian. You? People call me Ty, he continues. So, what brings you to Florida, man? I don't really know how to respond. It isn't exactly the easiest thing to explain, nor do I know how much I am willing to reveal. I shrug, then say, It's kind of complicated. Isn't it always, man, he says. Well, the situation I'm currently in is anything but simple, that's for sure. Ty takes a sip of coffee, and he recollects something. Wait, don't tell me. You're not here with... Really, man? He asks. Liv told me that Ty could be trusted, but I am still a little uneasy. I cut him off. Whatever you're thinking, yes and no, I say. And technically, I'm here with Tim. But yes, Liv is here too. I'm gonna get another coffee for this one, man. <laughs> Ty raises his hand and yells, Louis, refill, por favor. He comes over promptly, fills Ty's mug to the brim, and tops mine off too. I decide to tell Ty the story. Well, for the most part. I tell him that night was the first night I met her. We hit it off, had no idea it was Tim's wife, my boss. I ended up winning the trip, and that's why I'm here. I leave out the part about me having sex with Liv. Twice. Do you like her, man? Well, she's my boss's wife. He raised his finger. Tisk tisk. That's not what I asked. You like her. It's okay, man. He takes a sip of coffee. Oh, damn. That's hot. He touches his lip. He puts the mug down and continues. Remember this. In this life, we always want what we can't have. There's something about Ty that really holds my attention. I can't quite figure this guy out, and I sell shit for a living. People are kind of my thing. Is it the fact that he says man after nearly every sentence? Nah, that is actually a little weird. He is a little bit mysterious and a little bit witty. Maybe that is all part of it too. I can't really put my finger on it. In any case, maybe he's right. Maybe I just want live because I can't have her. I use the brief pause in our chat to change topics. I tap the paper that is sitting on the table between us. The New York Times, huh? He smirks. It's the best few bucks I spend all week, man. I didn't even realize you can get the paper shipped to you daily. Of course you can. What planet you living on? He grins and continues. You know, it's the only thing I read these days. I can't watch that bullshit on TV. I watch a movie here and there, but the internet just moves too fast for me, man. I look out the window, see the palm trees waving, and cars zipping by. The aroma of the coffee roasting helps to liven my senses. Not just my smell, but that aroma just does something to me. What do you read, man? Ty asks. Well, that's a good question, I say. I don't read much. So what do you do, man? He asks. Well, what do you mean, what do I do? 
Well, if you don't read, what do you do with your time? I guess I read sometimes and listen to news soundbites on my commute to work each morning. I'm a big Yankees fan. Always have been since I was a kid. So I follow them. I listen to music, chase women, and I work. I pause to think for a second, take a sip of coffee. Ty's right. It is hot. Then I continue. I still hang with friends, but not as much. My time is limited. I try to see my folks on the weekends. Oh, and I play the guitar. That's pretty much it. <laughs> is that good enough? I don't know, man, he says. You tell me. Is it? This guy's confusing me a little. He stares at me for a second longer and then says, Maybe you should read the New York Times, man. I guess I could, I say. I do see people reading it every day on the train. It's easy. All you have to do is pick it up. You'll read about your boys and pinstripes and also a lot of other things. Why do you read the Times, though? You want me to tell you why I read the Times, man? I'm actually on the edge of my chair. Of course, I say. Ty takes a couple sips of coffee, looks out the window, then back at me. It finally cooled down, man, he says. I motion to him to answer my question. So? Right, so I was saying, he says, then pauses. The Times is part of my consumption diet, man. I squish my forehead and squint my eyes. Consumption diet? Yeah, man, a consumption diet, he says. You'll have to explain this one to me, I say. Most people don't realize they spend their entire day, actually, entire life, consuming stuff, he says. It's easy to do in America. People think too much weight kills, so they go on a food diet. Well, I think too much consumption kills. You can't see it happening, but over time, your brain gets rotten like an apple, left out in this Florida sun. I've seen good people over the years kill themselves with too much consumption, man. I've never heard anything quite like this before. The cars driving by keep distracting me and grabbing my attention. I look back at Ty. We sit silent for a moment. You got nothing to say, huh, man? He says. I'm still not too sure what a consumption diet is, Ty. Ty takes off his glasses and rests them on the table. Just look at what you told me, man. You consume the Yankees, music, women, and even work. You play the guitar, too. I do. Do you ever play for people? He asks. Sometimes, but not much. You even consume the guitar, man, he says, his voice getting louder. He shakes his head. I'm not saying don't do those things. You gotta live life, Lord knows I have. But how many of those things exist without you, man? He asks. I'm perplexed and stifled on what to say next, so I just sit with my mouth shut. Yankees exist without you. The music exists without you. The women you chase exist without you. The guitar exists without you. Even your job, man. It exists without you, he says. The rabbit hole he seems to be going down is leaving me even more confused and concerned. Doesn't everything exist without me, though? I ask. Ty runs his hands through his long hair, then raises his finger. Not everything, man. He takes a sip of coffee. You told me you don't see your friends as much anymore, and your folks only on some weekends. Partner? Kids? Siblings? Just one brother. How often do you see him? He asks. Honestly, at this moment, I can't remember the last time we saw each other. I'm reluctant to say, almost never. 
All those relationships you are neglecting are creations that can't exist without you, he says. That guitar you play, maybe you just want to play for a hobby. That's cool. Enjoy it. Please do. But play it for people. Create something that can't exist without you, man. I finally find the courage to open my mouth. Why are you telling me all this? I ask. He chuckles. Do you know what I do? No. I'm a 59-year-old guitar player, man. Really? Yeah, man, he says. I've been a session guitarist most of my life. I've played all over the world. I've played with everyone from Michael Jackson to Sir Paul McCartney. Holy shit. Did he just say Paul? He definitely did. Who is this guy? I've heard about session musicians before, but I don't really know much about them, so I ask him, what's a session guitarist? Well, I play in the studio when people are recording, and sometimes on stage when artists need guitarists. Good ones, he says, and smiles. I've spent my whole life playing the guitar. I won't lie to you, I love it, and it's been great to me. How do you think I bought this house in Golden Beach? He goes on. I've made a lot of money playing other people's music, man. But let me tell you something, he says, leaning in. Of course. The most alive I ever felt was when I was creating my own music with my own band. Even if the world doesn't know who the fuck I am, man. Damn, now here's an honesty you don't get every day. It's not hard to imagine Ty's danced with the underworld. I laugh to myself. <laughs> I bet you traveled a lot though, huh? I imagine you severed some relationships along the way, I ask. Too many, he says. Chased a lot of women around. Still do. Cocaine, booze, party, fun, all that stuff, man. He snickers as he says this. I only ended up down here because of Clapton's 461 Ocean Boulevard album. That's Golden Beach. After he got hooked on the junk, he escaped down here. I never got lost on H but I thought if Golden Beach was good enough for Clapton, fuck it, it'll be good enough for me. Only few people have ever played the guitar like Clapton. You know what I mean, man? I do know what you mean. He's a technical beast on the guitar, and I love that blues sound. He chuckles and repeats, a technical beast on the guitar, man. I wish I could talk to this guy all day. I feel like there is still so much to talk about with him. I haven't even asked him anything about guitar, and I want some stories, but I know I have to get back to the house. I'm reminded when I look at my cell phone and see a text message from Jack that reads, Where the fuck are ya? Time has been passing, my coffee is starting to near empty, and the real world is calling my name. I have to depart this shamanic mountain and re-enter civilization. Fuck me. I order an Uber and look back at Ty. I don't even know what to say, I tell Ty. He looks over at me, smiles bright, and itches his beard. Don't say nothing, he says. Let's just go back to your original question, man. I nod my head, pretending to remember what it was, but I can't. He continues. You know, about reading the New York Times, man. Yeah, the consumption diet, I say. Yes, you've got it, man. I see my Uber pull up, so I know I have to go. <laughs> Great talking with you. See you around. Well, you know where to find me, he says. I'm here every morning that I'm in town. Even if I've had a long night, I just smirk. I can tell he's had many nights go past 4am. I stand up and push my chair in. 
Ty puts the times back up in front of his face and goes right back to what he was doing before I stumbled through the door. Just as I'm about to walk out, I hear his rough voice. Christian. I turn back to look at him. One last thing, man. Yeah? What's that, Ty? Always remember to look at what's directly in front of you, he says. Godspeed, man. Godspeed. As I get in the backseat of the Uber, a small sedan, Ty's last comment sinks to the bottom of my gut, like an anchor holding me in thought for the entire drive back. I have to roll the window down just so the breeze can cool off my overheating brain. I think about my immediate future, the promotion. I have Tim's voice playing in my mind. You can have all this. Undoubtedly, it is a life of comfort, but do I even want all this? A beautiful house bought in desperation to save a marriage. The cheating wife. The suit and tie every day for the rest of my life. I feel like an asshole because I'm grateful for the opportunity Tim is offering me. The money, security, would be nice. And being Undercuffler's boss is a double bonus. It might be possible to have all that without Tim's shitty situation, but maybe Ty is onto something. Maybe I can't escape the inevitabilities that come along with the path. I mean, that's what he meant, right? My dad pops into my mind, how proud he'll be, even if he doesn't say it, when I tell him, Hey dad, I got a promotion. It's the recognition I want and feel I deserve. Now I have the recognition, but Ty's voice continues to bang off the walls of my mind, like a ping pong ball, back and forth, volley for volley. The breeze coming through the cracked back window goes from refreshing to tepid, and the car slows to a stop outside the house. The day is already one I would not soon forget, but the sight of Tim and Liv in the driveway packing some things into their Jeep is a reminder it's only the beginning. It's a cold shot of reality with enough oomph to pry that anchor loose. Fuck. Off I go. Tim turns, sees me getting out of the car, and yells out, Christian, where have you been? Come grab some breakfast before we head on the boat for the day. And Liv? She doesn't even turn around. Before you go, quick reminder, if you'd like to read along with season one, or perhaps just support me, that would be amazing. Tom Collins, A Slightly Crooked Novel is available to purchase at Amazon, Apple iBooks, Google Play, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble, as well as global distribution. So next time you're in the local bookstore, make sure to have them order you a copy. Thanks so much for listening.